How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and all the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we come tonight because of the blood of Jesus. We come not because of any good that we have done, but because of the good that has been done for us. Because Jesus has given His life for us. Because Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. We can come to You with our worship. We can come to You with our prayers. And we can come to Your Word. We can come to what You have said and not be crushed by it but be changed by it. So would you give us the confidence of the blood of Jesus as we come to hear your voice tonight? Would you open our hearts to receive the message and receive it as true and receive it as true in a way that changes the way we live? pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. For five summers while I was in college and my first year in seminary, I worked for a company called Oil Dry. And the company was started, true to its name, uh, to make absorbent products for oil spills. Uh, But after a while, uh, they found a much more lucrative market for their products. And it was the market of cat litter. Okay, so for, for five summers of my life, two to three months a year, I would work in a hot South Georgia oppressive heat for 8, 10, 12 hours. The last summer I was there, I worked the night shift, 12 hours, 7 at night to 7 in the morning. Producing a receptacle for the urine and feces of a cat. (laughs) that begins to mess with one's dignity. I think most of us in this room tonight want what we do with our days to mean something. We want how we spend our time to have significance. While, of course, we do want to make money, I think most of us want more than that for not only our jobs, but the time that we spend with our families and friends and in recreation. We are looking for meaning, for significance. 
with how we spend our days. And that's a good desire. It is a biblical desire. It is a desire that comes from the text that we have read. One of the most beautiful expressions of human worth and dignity in all of literature, ancient and modern. To want a life of meaning, of purpose. I think it is in us and it is certainly in the Bible. But what about cat litter? And not just cat litter. I worked those jobs to put myself through school and I got through school and I started doing what I was called to do, what I had worked all those hours and, and spent all of that time in school to do. I started doing it, and you'd think that would take away all the questions about meaning and significance away. But it didn't. I still struggle with them, and my guess is you do too. Even if you love what you do, you wrestle with a sense of futility. And you long for meaning and purpose. And what I want us to do tonight is I want us to bring that struggle, I want us to bring those questions to this text. I want to bring the struggle of futility to this poetry of, of dignity. And I want to ask two questions. First of all, what is the source of our dignity? And then how do we live a life of dignity? So first of all, what is the source of our dignity? This poem begins and ends uh, with the dignity of God. It talks about the majesty of God, His royalty, His place of the rightful King of all that exists. And it talks about His majesty being seen and celebrated in all of the earth. And then between the beginning and the end of this poem, between verses 1 and 9, it explains how that happens. How is God's majesty made known in the earth? How is His royalty revealed in the earth? And what we can see here is that it has something to do with a connection between what is above and what is below. So a few details in this text. Second half of verse 1, David, the poet, talks about how God has set His glory above the heavens. Right? And then verse 2, he turns his attention below. God's glory above the heavens, but how does, he, how does God defeat His enemies? With babies, right? The mouths of infants. A similar pro progression in verses 3 and 4. The poet looks above and sees the moon and the stars and is amazed at how those reflect the splendor of God. But that reflection leads him below. In verse 4, what is man that you are mindful of him? Leads him to reflect and be amazed at God's care for people. So God's majesty fills the earth by a connection between above and below. But what exactly is that connection? Well, that's explained in verses 5 to 8 of this poem. So, 
Verse 1 says God's glory is above the heavens. In verse 5, where is glory? It is given to us. It is given to human beings. Man is crowned with glory and honor. In verse 3, it says that God set the moon and stars in place. That's royal language. He placed them there as rulers of the heavens. Who is ruling in verses 6 to 8? We are. God gives humanity dominion over earth, sky, and sea to rule over it. So the connection between above and below is the connection of shared majesty. God fills the earth with His royalty, with His majesty, by sharing it with us. By giving us the mission of filling the world with His rule and reign. And this is the pattern of creation. This psalm, in its ideas and language, is very closely connected to Genesis 1 and 2 where we are told that humanity is made in the image of God. That does not mean that we are made to physically look exactly like God looks. It means that we are made as representatives of God's rule, His reign, His majesty. So, ancient kings would place images of themselves in different places. Why? To remind those places of who was in charge. To remind those places of who was king. And that is why God made us. That is why He has placed us here. He has placed us here to bring His majesty to where we live. To fill His creation with His good rule and reign. It is a strategy of dispersed majesty. And that is why your heart beats. Your heart beats to participate in that goal. To participate in the mission of filling this earth with the good, life-giving, gracious, Reign of God. My kids last weekend uh, spent some time with their grandparents. My sisters are here tonight, by the way. These are my sisters sitting right up here. And so uh, my kids uh, spent time with with our parents. And uh, we went to pick them up on Monday. And we were walking back to the van to go home. And J.J. stops. And he turns and looks over his shoulder. And he yells at his grandmother. And he yells, Grammy! Don't forget the baby tortoise! Which was strange enough to ask a few questions about what was going on. And what had happened is Grammy had downloaded on her iPad a game, a zoo game, where you get and have to take care of these animals. And if you don't take care of the animals, they die. All right? And so what JJ had done is he had deputized his grandmother to make sure that the baby tortoise was taken care of and would not die. That is what God has done 
with us. When He makes us, He deputizes us to accomplish His purposes in His creation. And that is why your life is full of dignity. The source of your dignity is God's. It is the truth that He has made you to represent, to fill the earth with His majesty. We belong to a tradition of churches that come out of the 16th century Reformation. And one of the accomplishments of that movement was to recover the goodness of ordinary labor, of ordinary work. One of the great leaders of that movement, Martin Luther, expressed it this way. He said that we are all, because we are made by God, whether we are kings or milkmaids, we are the masks of God. We are God's way of giving His good gifts to the world. Do you see your life that way? Do you see your grind, the daily in and out of all of the things that you need to accomplish? Do you see it in light of the truth that you were made to fill the earth with God's majesty. You were made to represent His rule and reign. So when you wash that 379th load of laundry this week, it is majestic. Not because it feels majestic, because it doesn't. But because of why God made you. And that goes for research papers and presentations and writing sermons and anything that we do. It's connected to God's purpose for us. It's connected to why He made us. Now, that might seem like a nice idea. But that is a very difficult way to live. It is hard to make the connection between the ideals of this poetry and the reality of our daily lives. So, second question. How do we not only know the source of our dignity, which is our being made in the image of God, but how do we live out of that source? How do we live a life of dignity? It's easy to see Psalm 8 as a kind of memo from the boss. So God is the boss, and He lays out His directives, and He hands it to us and leans back in His chairs, and we have to summon all of our resources and training to get the job done. But verse 2 will not let us do that. Because how does the job get done? How is God's strength, how is His rule established on the earth? Baby talk. 
right? Out of the mouths of infants. So this is accomplished not with competence, not with ingenuity, not with the most recent technology. It is accomplished with weakness. To live a life of dignity, we have to live a life of dependence. Why? Well, that's inherent in the idea of being made in the image of God for one reason. Because being made in the image of God is a royal image, but it is also a familial image. We are made in the image of God, and so we are made dependent on Him as children are dependent on parents. But there's more. There's a deeper and a more tragic reason that to live a life of dignity, we have to live a life of dependence. Verse 4 talks about, uses the language of, of what is man, that you are mindful of him. And this is not the only place in the Bible that that language is used. It echoes in Psalm 144, later in the Psalter, and also in the book of Job. And in Psalm 8, it is a positive expression. What is man that you are mindful of him? It is an expression of how God has dignified humanity. But in Job and later in Psalms, it is a negative expression. It speaks of how we have rejected God's reign. Of how we have rejected His ways. And because of that rejection, because of that sin, suffering and death has entered into this world. It is an expression in Psalm 144 and in Job of mourning. Not of celebration. So, if we read Psalm 8 by itself... It is inspiring, and it should be. But when we put it in context, it is an inspiration that reveals our need. It gives us a goal, it gives us an ideal, but it also shows us the impossibility of reaching that ideal on our own. It's like having an ancient pirate treasure map but not having a compass, a ship or a captain and so it opens to us our need for God our need for some other action, for some other event to make this poetry possible in our lives and we are once again reminded of why we cannot read sing, or live the Psalms without Jesus. In Matthew 21, we have the story of Jesus entering the city of Jerusalem, and he comes into the temple at the center of that city, and there is a group of kids who are praising him. They are saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. And the religious leaders, the leaders of the temple, come to Jesus with their eyebrows raised. And they say to Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? And for these leaders, that was a rhetorical question to say to Jesus, you need to stop them from saying that. That's blasphemous. But Jesus takes their question literally, and he says, yes, I do hear what they're saying. And then he quotes verse 2 of Psalm 8. Out of the mouths 
of infants. Why? Because he was saying to those leaders, these weak and dependent children have seen me for who I am. They have seen what God is doing in me. They have seen that I am what humanity was supposed to be. Jesus, in His life, fully embodies the beauty of this poem. He perfectly lives a life reflecting the majesty of God. He was and is what humanity is supposed to be. And we see that not only in His life, but in His death and resurrection as well. Hebrews chapter 2 also uses this psalm. Uses the language of Psalm 8. And the writer there uses it to talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. He says that Jesus has been crowned with glory and honor in His resurrection. But why was He crowned with glory and honor? Hebrews tells us that he was crowned with glory and honor because he was made lower than the angels. And he suffered. He suffered death for us. He suffered the distance between this poetry and our lives. He suffered the impact and the result of our sin, of our rejection of God's kingship. And he suffered and he died so that he could take this poetry, this ideal of being made in the image of God, and he could take our lives and he could begin to bring them together. To begin to restore us into what God intended us to be. To begin to restore us to dignity, to meaning, and to purpose. And that is why a life of dignity is a life of dependence. It is a life of faith. It is a life that looks to the one who accomplishes what we in our sin and weakness could never accomplish. If Psalm 8 is going to be our map, then Jesus must be our compass, our ship, and our captain. And so much of our frustration, so much of our experience of futility, our struggle to find meaning in what we do in life, in our lives, it, it comes from, from taking our roles, so our role as a parent, as a student, as an employer, as an employee, uh, as a husband, as a father, as a mother. Our frustration, our futility comes from taking those roles and trying to make them play the role of Jesus. To try to draw from them meaning and purpose and worth. To try to take and get dignity from what we do rather than from who we are in Him. That is why a life of dignity is a life lived in faith. 
is the life of faith that sees Jesus raised from the dead, crowned with glory and honor. And it is a faith that knows that, knows that not only about Jesus, but knows that about those who are in Jesus. That if you are in Him by faith, not only is He raised, crowned with glory and honor, but He is at work in your life by His Spirit, crowning you with glory and honor, restoring you to one who lives out the majesty of God in your ordinary life. You are crowned with glory and honor in Jesus Christ. And that is true of you, whether you're packaging cat litter, or making art, or changing diapers, or exploring the mysteries of the universe. You should want meaning. You should want purpose. You should long for dignity. That is a good desire. That is a desire that has been given you by God. But will you let that desire develop in you dependence and awareness of your weakness that drives you to Jesus? the one who perfectly sings the music of Psalm 8 and invites you into it. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that tonight we can proclaim our belief that we are not only made by you, made to represent you, made to fill this world with your majesty, but we can proclaim with boldness that we are not sufficient for that work. And we can turn to Jesus, the one who was the perfect image of God, who was God in the flesh. And we, we can look to him in faith and in hope that you are, in work, you are at work in our lives, taking those ordinary, plain things that we think are so insignificant, and He makes them matter. We thank You for that, but we acknowledge that so often we don't live there. We live trusting in our own strength and so feeling the futility of trying to be what You've made us to be. Would You awaken us to faith? Would You awaken us to the significance of our lives because of who we are in Jesus. We pray it all in his name.